Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. Welcome, everyone. We uh, are at the final chapter to the Refuge Recovery uh, book, the final um, kind of chapter of the basic text of what Refuge Recovery is. And uh, we've already gone through the, the core practices of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And um, this 14th chapter, which starts on page 93 and continues on to page 102, um, is the last of the um, teachings, is the last of the commentary um, on how we use Buddhism and uh, the Buddha's teachings, the original humanist psychology uh, of uh, Siddhartha Gautama to treat addiction and the practices that we're engaged in here in, in refuge recovery. Uh, and then the rest of the book goes on to, you know, share some personal stories. Of course, this book came out uh, before refuge recovery existed as a uh, nationwide international uh, program that it you know is now and has become and so most of those stories are uh, not people who really use refuge recovery but people from 12-step or people that use Buddhism without the kind of form formal uh, refuge recovery community um, uh, so I think that actually as we move forward from here we'll probably skip the stories. I'm actually quite interested in replacing the stories in the book with some uh, new stories, with stories of people who uh, have utilized refuge recovery and uh, engaged and stayed engaged in refuge recovery uh, as a recovery program. So um, at some point we'll put out a formal call for those stories and maybe some of your stories will end up in the next edition of the book. Uh, and how refuge recovery has worked in your life. So we'll go through this chapter tonight and, um, and then have some dialogue. And then as we move forward, uh, I was discussing with Joseph and Rachel earlier, uh, I think that what we'll do is we'll skip the stories and we'll go to the meditations. And we'll do Thursday nights where we'll do the meditations that are in the book one at a time, and I'll guide them as they are uh, written as they wrote them in the book, and uh, and then we'll have an opportunity to meditate together on Thursday nights and have some discussion and some Q and A about these different uh, Buddhist meditation practices and how to apply them and when to apply them, and uh, hopefully I can be a resource for any um, questions or or curiosity or discussion about uh, these uh, interventions for addiction and these processes of healing and awakening and recovering that we have here, these resources. So, Welcome, thanks for joining me tonight. And uh, if you've missed the first 
13 chapters. They should all be living. The recording should be living on the YouTube channel, Refuge Recovery World Services. You can go back and um, watch the, the previous ones. And then maybe after we go through this cycle, maybe we'll, we'll do it again. We'll see uh, what we do next. But uh, everything should be living there on the YouTube channel. Um, you should have access to all of the discussion of, that we've had so far. Chapter 14, Breaking the Addiction. One of the problems we face as addicts is that we get comfortable. Even though we don't always like the reality of our situation, it becomes familiar. We don't like the dissatisfaction, the suffering, and the difficulty of life. We wish it were different, but we we're also so comfortable in it. It's all we have ever known. Like a child who is abused by his or her parents, a child who screams for the familiar comfort of those parents as they're being hauled off by the police for beating the child to a pulp. We would rather stay with the familiar than face the unknown, even when that familiar is our suffering. We are so used to our confusion that when the choice for freedom comes, we think, no way, it's too hard. Because the unknown is too scary, we go through our lives repeating patterns of thought and action, even when they bring us pain. We also sometimes get lost in delusional philosophies that explain the difficulties of life. We like such philosophies because being scared, we feel we have the right answer all the time. Many of the world's religious traditions are a direct reaction to the confusion and difficulty of life. With it is difficult to rest in not knowing. So we, create, so we create the delusion of knowledge. Humans devise creation myths, psychological theories, cultural norms, political beliefs, and religions, all in a vain attempt to appease or control their core feelings of insecurity and uncertainty. What, Buddhism's, what Buddhism offers that, is, that differs from most other theories is a direct experience of what is true. Buddhism doesn't ask for blind faith or belief. It offers a practical path to walk. We cannot find freedom by thinking about it with an untrained mind. The untrained mind is not trustworthy. It is filled with greed, hatred, and delusion. Only the mind trained in mindfulness, friendliness, and, and investigation can directly experience the freedom from suffering that will satisfy the natural longing for security. This is the wisdom of insecurity. We can see the manifestation of this fear of the unknown in relationships. We go through our lives attached to our familiar suffering by getting into the same type of 
unsatisfactory relationship again and again. How many times do we have to fall in love with someone just like mommy or daddy before we acknowledge the pattern of seeking love as an attempt to heal an old wound? Does it ever really work? With mindful investigation, we can see for ourselves what our patterns and habitual reactions are. And from that place of true knowledge, we can then begin to choose our responses, actions, and partners more wisely. Life doesn't have to be so unsatisfactory. This is the good news. There is a cause to our confusion and suffering. It is our relationship to craving. And, the, and that cause can be altered to bring about a different effect. Notice that here we don't say it's craving itself that's the problem. That's just a natural phenomena of the conditioned heart-mind. No, the problem lies in our addiction to satisfying the craving. We all experience craving. When we have a pleasant experience, we crave more of it. We wish for it to increase or at least last. When we have an unpleasant experience, we crave for it to go away. We feel the need to escape from pain, to destroy it and to replace it with pleasure. This is especially true for the addict who has set in motion a long-term habitual reaction of avoiding pain and creating pleasure with substances or behaviors that he or she became addicted to. We are addicted to pleasure in part because we confuse pleasure with happiness. We would all say that deep down, all we want is to be happy. Yet we don't have a realistic understanding of what happiness really is. Happiness is closer to the experience of acceptance and contentment than it is to pleasure. True happiness exists as the spacious and compassionate heart's willingness to feel whatever is present. Though pleasure is in no way the enemy in our search for happiness, it comes and goes. When it's here, we tend to grasp at it. When it's gone, we want more. That addiction is the untrained heart-mind's natural reaction to anything pleasurable. This is clear in the Buddha's second noble truth. The cause of suffering is craving for pleasure. Though we speak of ourselves as addicts, drug addicts, sex addicts, alcoholics, food addicts, what we are really addicted to isn't the substance or the behavior, drugs or sex or food or alcohol, but our own minds. We are addicted to that part of the mind that craves, that says we must satisfy this desire or that. Even in the 12-step recovery programs that view, that view addiction as a disease, it is said that the drugs and alcohol are only a symptom of an internal imbalance. That's why we say that our relationship to craving 
is the problem, not the substances or behaviors themselves. We have all paid the price for that unwise relationship to craving. Most of the suffering in life is due to our addiction to our thoughts and cravings. We wander through life constantly craving more of the pleasant stuff and less of the unpleasant. This is the place where the spiritual practice of recovery comes in. The Buddha's against the stream principle tells us that it's counterinstinctual. It goes against our very human survival instincts to accept pain and not chase pleasure. It is a veritable internal battle because breaking the addiction to our knee-jerk satisfaction of craving goes against our natural human tendencies. When life is uncomfortable, we naturally want to change. When life is good, we want things to stay as they are. It goes against our nature to stop trying to satisfy our craving, to allow the craving to be there without reacting to it. Few of us have the courage to accept pain as pain and pleasure as pleasure. To find the place of peace and serenity that accepts both pain and pleasure as impermanent and ultimately impersonal. But our confusion may also go beyond the courage to train the mind. Other than Buddhism, few teachings even allow for the possibility of this kind of freedom. Most of us have a fantasy of spiritual awakening as being purely pleasurable all of the time. This fits right in with our craving for pleasure, but also with the creation of more suffering. The awakening of the Buddha within each one of us is the experience of non-suffering. Not suffering could be considered blissful in comparison to suffering, but that, does, but that does not mean that it is pleasurable all the time. We have to let go of our fantasy of unending pleasure and the craving for a pain-free existence. That is not the kind of spiritual awakening that the Buddhist path of recovery offers. The important question then is, how do we break this addiction? How do we loosen our identification with craving and the satisfying of our desires? How do we break our addiction to our minds? How do we get free? The untrained mind, the natural state of human consciousness has very little free will. We talk about free will, about freedom of choice, but without training the mind, we don't really have the ability to choose. We're actually slaves to or addicted to the dictates of the past, of our conditioning, of our karma, of our past actions. We don't have free will unless we bring mindful awareness to the moment to moment process of craving arising. The short version of this principle is that we have the ability to break our habitual addictive reactions through, through close attention to the mind and body. 
The foundational practice is paying attention to your mind, to our body, to our present time experience. It is hard to pay attention because we have to face some ugly truths and tolerate some discomfort. One ugly truth may be that our fear, lust, or anger is all we see in the beginning. Since the mind does not easily pay attention to the present, effort is necessary. The mind, which is all over the place from one moment to the next, has to be trained. The Buddha said the mind was like a monkey swinging in a tree from one branch to the next. Yes, that is what the mind does. It swings from one thought to the next, from the future to the past from planning to remembering, from self-hatred to grandiosity. To get some stability, we need the intentional effort of repeatedly bringing the attention back, of paying attention to the present time experience of breath and body over and over. In fact, we are paying attention to something all the time though it may be a fantasy in our mind or perhaps a daydream about a more pleasant future. Through, redire through redirecting our attention to the present moment, to the simple reality of our breath and body, and through investigating the feeling tone of each experience, we open ourselves to the possibility of freedom. Right now, there is this experience of sitting here, listening. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? Are you meeting the sensation in your body with aversion or compassion? Bringing awareness to the feeling tone in this moment allows us to relax and release the aversion. Our habitual tendency when there is discomfort is to push it away. But the aversion to that discomfort seems to make it grow bigger. And pretty soon we begin squirming around or feeling that we have to run out of the room because sitting still is a pain in the ass. Awareness of the desire for things to be other than the way that they are is key. Thus, the first step in breaking the addiction is acknowledging the unsatisfactory nature of both pleasure and pain. We do this by being vigilant toward and aware of the presence of dissatisfaction, the desire for things to be different. Yet we also need to pay attention to moments of ease and well-being. The experience of non-attachment when the mind is free from suffering. We are usually hyper-vigilant when something is uncomfortable. Yet when it is pleasurable or peaceful, we often pay no attention, except when perhaps to think about how we're going to get more of that pleasure. Awareness of the lack of satisfaction and the craving for things to be different allows us to take the next step towards freedom. 
we can relax the clinging of the mind and body and simply accept that we feel a craving for more or less of something. We can ask ourselves, can I accept this moment? Can I accept this one moment at a time? Can I acknowledge that this is the way it is? And though I want things to be different, can I let go of that aversion and let things be the way they are? It is important to acknowledge this process as it unfolds by investigating it and acknowledging our feelings of craving. Our conditioned tendency is to push or pull, grasp or run. The practice of refuge recovery calls us to the practice of letting go or letting be. From the awareness of grasping or aversion comes the possibility of letting go. With the trained mind, we can release our mental or physical grip because all things that have arisen will pass. The act of letting go will allow the experience to pass. Letting be is similar to letting go. It means letting the experience and all of the feelings it engenders to be present the way that it is, accepting the experience as unsatisfactory, impermanent, and, um, and impersonal. In the early stages of recovery, we may find that we are not so good at internally just letting things go or letting ourselves be. But with time, we'll become more, we, will, we will become able to tolerate unpleasantness without externalizing it or acting on it. For example, we won't have to say the angry words. We may still experience the anger or fear, but we, we will gain the ability to pause and to respond with compassion rather than react with angst. The Buddha suggests that once we have acknowledged our clinging or our, or our aversion, if we can easily let it go, we should try to redirect our attention to something else, to another place in the body that is not painful. For example, during meditation, if there is a pain in your left knee and you feel aversion to it, but can't accept or tolerate it, Redirect your attention somewhere else. Try, for example, bringing the attention back to the breath. Another level of our practice that addresses craving is inquiry. We can investigate what is going on. What is underneath this desire more or less? What is motivating or fueling this aversion? Why is this thought pattern being played over and over again? When we really start to investigate our aversion, anger, or lust, we almost always find that what is fueling it underneath is fear, a base level fear that we are not going to get what we want or are going to lose what we have. Sometimes it even manifests as a fear that we won't be able to tolerate the fear. Underneath our ego and anger and lust, is often the insecurity of fear, which we find when we investigate. 
Once we recognize it as fear, we can reflect on the fact that fear is not an excuse for inaction. We can then take the next breath and the next action and learn to live with fear as a constant companion. If we lived our lives taking only actions when fear was not at play, we would do very little. We certainly never would have started meditating in the first place. Almost every time we do something new, some fear arises, but it is not a problem, just an old familiar companion. In fact, for recovering addicts, the wisdom of insecurity becomes one of our greatest teachers. Another level of inquiry is to look closely at our mind to see who is experiencing this fear. Whose fear is this? Is it mine? Sometimes it becomes clear that the voices of fear are not even our own. We are hearing our parents, teachers, friends, or enemies. We have incorporated those voices into our psyche and have believed them our whole life thinking that the feelings and thoughts of fear were somehow personal. On a deeper level, we investigate who is really experiencing all this craving. It's really just the mind, isn't it? It's just more impermanent thoughts arising and passing. If neither letting go nor investigating works, another skillful way to address craving is to attempt to replace it by actively reflecting on love, courage, kindness. Since negative mind states are still just mind states, we can try to replace them with positive mind states. The loving kindness meditation practice is designed for this. Becoming aware of what we are addicted to and becoming committed to getting free from our misidentification with and our addiction to our minds, thoughts, and feelings require a level of renunciation, a level of being honest with ourselves and realizing that we keep doing the same thing over and over, and the outcome is unsatisfactory every time. Part of our work in recovery is to break the denial of believing that things are going to be different this time and then beginning to change our inner and outer actions. Here's a simple story that points to the process by which these changes are often made. It takes place in five phases or chapters. We are walking down the street and we fall down in a hole. We don't know what happened and it takes us a long time to get out of that hole. Number two. The next time we walk down the same street, we know that there is a hole there, but we're still attracted to it. And we get curious and we fall in again, but this time it takes us less time to get out. Number three, the next time we walk down the same street, we know that there is a hole there, but we're pretty sure we can jump over it. And we try to jump over, but fall in again. Number four, the next time we walk down the same street, we know the danger, but we're still curious. So we walk up to the hole and look in thinking, damn, that's a deep hole. But this time we don't fall into it. This time we carefully 
walk around it. Number five, finally, we choose to walk down a different street, deciding that we won't walk down that old street anymore because we know there's a hole there. On the path of recovery, we need to have that fifth level of renunciation, a commitment that we're not going to walk down the streets of intoxication and indulgence anymore. Of course, it isn't so simple. Our habits and grasping are so deep, but it all starts with the intention to change, to find new ways of relating to our mind. All this points towards breaking the addiction to pleasure and the aversion to pain. We each have to ask ourselves, what do I really want in my life? Short-term satisfaction of craving or long-term peace of mind and the healing of the heart that will lead to a full recovery of my own true nature. When we choose the path, choose the path of wanting long-term peace, freedom and true happiness in our lives, rather than the short-term satisfaction of pleasure and desire, then the effort to train the mind is there. This has been our experience. When we really keep in the forefront of our thoughts that our intention in this life is to recover and to be free, then being of service, practicing meditation, and doing what we need to do to get free becomes the only rational decision. This takes discipline, effort, and a deep commitment. It takes a form of rebellion, both inwardly and outwardly, because we not only subvert our own conditioning, we also walk a path that is totally counter-cultural. The status quo in our world is to be attached to pleasure and to avoid all unpleasant experiences. Our path leads upstream against the normal human confusions and sufferings. The commitment to this path of recovery will take stamina, steadfastness and perseverance are a necessity if we're gonna continue on a long-term spiritual path. We wish, could, we wish we could say that there's some magical secret to all this, that this or that is what it takes to persevere, but we have no easy solution. Perhaps it is as simple as courage, the courage to begin, to continue, and to complete the task we took birth for. Yet fear is, has been, and perhaps always will be our constant companion on this path of recovery. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is the willingness to act in spite of being afraid. Freeing yourself from the addiction to your mind is like going off into the wilderness to a place you've never been before. It makes perfect sense that we want to stay attached to our suffering because it's so familiar. What we most fear is not darkness. We know the darkness all too well. What we're most afraid of is the light. The light of freedom shines from the unknown, undiscovered truths of compassion, kindness, appreciation, forgiveness, and the wisdom to respond with care and understanding to all beings. But like any arduous journey that feels like it will never end, the path of recovery has both rewards and a destination. 
along the way as we face our fears and confusion, we, will, we begin to realize that the process is perfectly safe and well worth the effort to persevere. The closer we get, the less scary it becomes. And when we make it through the dense forests, we can enjoy the views from a higher elevation on the path. taking a moment to reflect on this last section, commentary, some perspectives on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And my question for you is, uh, does it make sense? Can you get your mind around it? Are there parts of this process of this perspective of this teaching of this recovery program that challenge some long-held views conditioning um, limitations uh, they're parts of this uh, buddhist teaching that feel like they don't fit for you um, or that you don't quite understand or so I'm here uh, as a resource to share my understanding and uh, perspective with you. If you'd like to ask a question or make a comment um, about this perspective of breaking our addiction to habitually satisfying our cravings, breaking our addiction to pleasure, our addiction to avoiding pain. that we have this ability and um, that it takes discipline and perseverance as this chapter points to over and over. So what are your thoughts? You can raise your hand um, in your window by pushing the little raise hand button and then I can call on you. Or you can put a question into the chat if you'd rather not speak it out loud. I'm not finding a raise your hand button on my, but I'd like to talk a little. Can you see me? Oh, yeah, um, go Mark. for it. Go for it. There, yeah, go ahead. Um, chapter uh, is really hitting home to me, especially right now. You know, I've known you for quite a while, but uh, I, I spent the first uh, three months of this year um, back in jail. Um, I got out of jail in um, April, and uh, I've been involved in the recovery uh, community since 1986, so for 34 years. I've had long-term uh, recovery, and um, I've had... Uh, short-term recovery you know i uh i'm really convinced i mean this this thing about the the hole in the street you know i'm kind of like right at four and five even after all these years um i've always gone back to the 12-step programs and i i kind of uh started getting into this uh refuge recovery um only within the last uh, three or four years, I guess, but um, it's been very limited. It was when I was working at a treatment facility in Huntington. Um, 
I uh, used to take my clients to a little uh, a yoga studio and we did some refuge recovery there. And, you know, like Joe Bull and uh, his wife and all of them were involved in that. But um, the thing is, is that I have never relapsed when things were going bad. It's always when things were going good. Um, I kind of lost that, I lost, uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to say it. It's like, there was never that thought before the first drink. It was like something that just kind of subconsciously happened to me. So I know that there's a need for a retraining of my mind. You know, in my growing up, um, there was a lot of uh, abuse in my childhood. Um, I was always looking for something to escape that pain and, you know, to get out of that. And drugs and alcohol always seemed to work for a short time. But after a certain amount of time, my solution became my problem one more time you know this time it was very short um it was a matter of uh you know i hadn't it hadn't become a, a real problem my drinking hadn't become a real problem but um i got arrested at two o'clock in the afternoon two blocks away from my house driving to the liquor store to get to get more booze and i had a lot of time to sit in jail and reflect on where what's going wrong why why isn't recovery working for me and um I don't know. I just, uh, I'm like, you know, right on that, right on that, that fifth step. Finally, I, I really feel like I need to walk down a different street. You know, I don't know. I know my ego and all those things get in the way. Um, but really I'm, I'm in fear that my subconscious mind, the things that I'm not actually thinking about take me out. You know, I've been, um, falling asleep ever since I got out. I've been falling asleep with like some of your talks on in the background as I fall asleep, trying to cleanse my subconscious mind, you know, yeah. something different. And um, this time uh, it's feeling, it's feeling, uh, it's feeling different. I just, I can't see going through this one more time, starting all over from the beginning one more time. I've created a lot of wreckage. I won't be able to drive for quite a while. I went into jail. There was no pandemic. I came out into a pandemic. Um, trying to find employment with my situation has been almost impossible at this point. Thank goodness I have family. Uh, it, my sister gave me a place to live, and I've been able to be of service with her. She's getting ready to move into a new house, so I've been able to do things around here to help her get ready for that move. And when we go to her new house, there's some things that I can do to help her. But uh, I've spent hours and hours uh, um, online trying to find a different path, you know, and uh, yeah. this is, this is one of those different paths. So I don't know. Mark, good to see you and welcome. And um, I really heard what you're saying about that sort of lack of awareness, all of a sudden, you know, the thought arises and we're not even paying attention to it and we're just obeying the mind. And um, I think that that, you know, uh, without mindfulness, that's what, you know, there's that whole piece in this chapter of like, how much free will do we actually have without training our minds? Um, and, and most recovery processes don't give us this tool of intimacy with our own minds. And if anything, they actually encourage us to ignore ourselves as much as possible and constantly help others. And we never develop the sort of intimacy with our own mind. 
And this is where, you know, Buddhism says, no, 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 you have to have an intimacy and an awareness in order to stop the habitual actions that the mind, you know, especially the alcoholic, the addict mind. Um, so mindfulness will be a game changer for you. And I know you've been familiar with my work for a while um, and with, you know, Buddhism, but it's applying it, right? It's that 11th step as the foundation, like I meditate every day so that I can become aware and I can break my addiction to obeying my own mind because it'll get me drunk and locked up every time if I, you know, if, I, if I'm not vigilant um, ab about not being so identified and so uh, addicted to my own mind. Most definitely, and I'll, I'll, I'll unmute back up after this, but I just want you to know, I was lucky, I was in uh, jail and I was able to read Dharma Punks for the third time and someone had a copy of Against the Stream and my one thought was I need to connect with Noah as soon as I get out or you know, shortly after I get out, I need to connect with Noah and make that commitment to the discipline that you're talking about. And I really yeah. appreciate you. You're welcome. And, and you're welcome, and it's nice to see you. And and as you, uh, it, this will be a game changer for sure. And you know, you. You, you know, you still connect with your fellowship and all of those. You know, that that, that this thing about like walk down a different path was not a diss on the twelve steps. No, I know. <laughs> this and was I'm much more. Both of those. Yeah, no, this is much more a twelve step. Uh, I mean, much more a kind of analogy of just our own habitual, you know, tendencies. But yeah, you know, I do there have might, those, might be something there too. Yeah, I do have both of those going on, so that's helpful Great. as well. Great, nice to see you. Thank you so much. You too, Joanna Kay. Oh yes, hi. Um, thank you very much. Um, I am new, um, so unfortunately, I missed the first thirteen parts, <laughs> which I'll have to see on YouTube. Um, I did read the book in rehab. Um, I think it was my fourth or fifth time in rehab this past year. And um, I did read the book, didn't remember it, read it again, even underlined stuff and still didn't remember it. But, um, but I'm glad um, I'm attending these meetings. Um, I really identified as far as, um, it seems to be the theme this week that keeps coming up, like confusing the pleasure with happiness because it was something that I spoke about um, because in a program or that I'm in, it focuses just on the alcohol and and my thing is, is I shift my behaviors seeking that pleasure. And so whether it's through food or sex or over too much um, electronics, alcohol, it could be anything. I can shift because I don't know how to feel happy. And that just gives me that false sense of happiness. And then just like we read in the first chapter this week, um, when we seek that pleasure, it, it'll like my first thought is, you know, that illusion or delusion, you know, when I see people at the beach drinking or, I mean, I live in a very far populated area. So everyone's outside drinking and, and that's just a delusion because it always leads me back to the same place of suffering every time. And I keep repeating that pattern. Um, part of it is um, trauma work that I'm doing and avoidance of that pain and not being able to sit with it comfortably. Um, also like training the mind, like we, um, I did a meditation this week 
and it was like a beginner meditation. And thank God, like every two minutes, she's like, okay, bring yourself back, <laughs> focus on your breath. And I'm like, how did she know? <laughs> so, so I don't know. I'm just grateful to be here and um, a little nervous sharing, but I just wanted to reach out. And I did get a temporary sponsor um, or mentor. Um, so hopefully that'll be helpful too. And I look forward to seeing you guys um, in the meetings in the future. Thank you. Wonderful. Welcome. And just a, a short comment and you sort of pointed it to, to it yourself, which is just the, um, we gotta, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable. You know, you, you're seeing it and we all see it, that um, vain attempt to avoid our pain and our discomfort. Uh, and sometimes in treatment, they sort of support that like, yeah, don't, don't uncover too much while you're here. Um, and that's the, the path is, is turning towards and learning to be uncomfortable and seeing that we have a much larger capacity for discomfort than our fear tells us that actually it's just fear and that you just sit through it and you walk through it and you feel it and it arises and it passes. Um, uh, and this chapter spoke a lot about that courage uh, to act in the presence of, of fear. So thank you. Uh, how, is it Rooney? Rooney, Rooney. It's Rooney. <laughs> Rooney. Hey, Noah, good to be in this meeting. I actually just um, got out of a treatment center last week and I was reading against the stream. I didn't want to steal the rehab's copy of it. So I just ordered another. Um, and I was checking out where I could find refuge recovery meetings. And then I saw that you were doing a live one and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. Um, Cause they offered a couple refuge recovery meetings in the treatment center, but they'd be just a half an hour long and we'd just get through the chapter and not really have that much time to share about it. Um, so I really appreciate you offering this stuff again, like uh, as somebody said before, I'm kind of just coming in on the last chapter here. So I really hope you do start it over again cause that would be a great uh, deep dive for me. Um, yeah, I've tried the AA thing before. I can't say it does or doesn't work for me uh, since I haven't gone through all the steps completely. But I look at the big book as like, it's a historical text at this point. Like it's, since it's from the late thirties, like there are just some things that are unrelatable. Um, and I know that that may be problems reflect, reflecting from myself, but the fact that something else is offered now that's, you know, a bit more realistic. And um, instead of like, having these questions in between the lines, like you lay the questions out right here. Like you, you can't, they're not hiding at all. Like what's underneath these desires? What, what is the fear? Like it really is just the ability to, I don't know, have it just be clear cut. Cause when I was working with a sponsor in AA, you know, everybody does the steps differently, but like, it's all laid out here. There's no secret text. And I think that that's just wonderful. Um, it really helps me because I'm a Libra. I can never, you know, I see everything. I notice everything. So the fact that it's all laid out just like doesn't leave the room for that. Um, and I thought it was really funny that uh, the second to last paragraph here, the one with um, just like the fear of what's in the, uh, what's off in the wilderness and, um, you know, not fearing the darkness and the light. Um, it's funny because I just received a piece of mail. I'm living in a sober house. So I just received a piece of mail from my partner um, where she had kind of written something very similar um, about 
like it, it, the card had like a fox on it and she was just describing like what that meant of like you don't see the rest of the world on the canvas you just see the fox like smiling and walking past the sun and past the tree and just kind of going into the unknown so I'm all about the synchronicities in life so clearly I'm like in the right place at the right time I just got that letter today I just read it a few hours ago so I'm really happy to be here and thanks for letting me share that awesome thank you nice to meet you welcome to refuge hopefully we'll We'll connect uh, with the Sangha in, in your local area and lots of meetings online. So go to lots of meetings and get a mentor, find somebody uh, to help help support you through the process. James, go ahead. Hi, I'm James, uh, calling from Western Massachusetts, uh, Kripalu area actually, and uh, happy to be a student of pain and suffering for uh, a little while now and this chapter just speaks in such volumes to me. Um, and most times when I think about the addiction itself, uh, I think about the epicenter of the addiction, the actual, say, partaking, and I'll speak in terms of my uh, favorite aversion, which is alcohol. And the partaking of alcohol itself is one thing. But with deeper reflection, um, I find for myself, a lot of the addiction is the buildup to uh, getting the alcohol, the habits that go with getting the alcohol, and then the purchasing, the imbibing. And then afterwards, besides the impermanence, we have um, the suffering as well. We start to go back to the suffering of the hiding it and the lying about it and uh, everything that comes you know, with doing it um, when you're not supposed to be doing it. Uh, but the addiction itself for me really is, it, it is that buildup and that feeling that you have just before you're going to purchase it. It's almost like the crescendo to a really great mosh bar in a song. And then you, and then you get it. And then for a little while, it's good. But then, you know, you, you hit that dark spot. And this chapter just touches on so many different parts of that um, and how to get out of it and how you, how you can deal with it on a daily basis. And as much as I have been meditating for a while, it's never been as meaningful as it has now, especially when we talk about those pains that we feel in our meditative practice and then dealing with those pains, those small pains that you can breathe through and get through and accept. You want them to go away and then you can compare them, somewhat compare them to joy. And would you really have this feeling if you were feeling joy, would you wish for that joy to go away? Really, really hits home. Very grateful for it. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for your reflections. Um, a few minutes left. Let's, I don't know if we'll be able to get through all of these, but let's take uh, Lydia. Hi, I'm sorry. I'm at work. So I couldn't get every, everything you said, or I got like maybe 10 minutes of it. And so I, <laughs> I was thinking it was on the chapter 11 or chapter 13, the one after heart, the path to harmfulness. Is it the breaking the addiction or breaking the addiction or breaking the mind? Is that the chapter that you're talking about? Yeah, we were on chapter um, 14, the final chapter. Chapter 14? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Breaking the wanted, addiction. Breaking the addiction. I just wanted to like go home and like read it and, and still feel like I... I got to hear a little bit of it. So anyway, thank you. You're welcome. 
Michael. I know. Um, there was a part on uh, page 97 that stuck out to me. It was right now, there is a, the experience of sitting here reading this book. Is it pleasant or unpleasant? Are you meeting the sensations in your body with aversion or compassion? And it was like reading this chapter was like a struggle with default mechanisms and new teaching. And I hear a lot like, you know, lean into the fear and lean into being uncomfortable. And even in another recovery pathway, um, one of my sponsors always said, we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And with each passing day, I'm finding that to be true because fear is something that I'm definitely familiar with. Um, aversion is something I'm familiar with. And when I use like, refuge and meditation to kind of investigate them and lean in and try to name it like what's causing this fear and look at it and sit next to it and have compassion mindfulness and kindness to it which is very like the book says very counterintuitive um and because my first thing is to try to eradicate fear or discomfort with craving or pleasure like the book talks about and the more I like sit next to these feelings and gauge the feel and tone and, and do the work and approach it with compassion, kindness, and mindfulness, I'm finding that I can get more comfortable with it. And I'm changing my relationship to, to, to what's going on. And um, it's really powerful to operate in a new mind frame or a new way as opposed to like sitting in what's comfortable, like old default mechanisms and old ways of doing business. Yeah. And one thing that was really powerful is like when in the chapter, when you talked about whose fear is this? Like that really hit me hard. Like, is it our family's fear? Is it you went on a list of, you know, where that comes from and how, deep that can run and how far back that can go and that really i you know i really took a look at that and it, and it made some, makes a lot of sense to me yeah and um i um i have like a enthusiasm and and a, a brave heart and a, and a commitment for the long term run with this stuff because it's it really does work like i'm finding each day that the more I read and the more I do, it's like more is revealed. And this chapter like is completely what I needed to hear for what I'm going through right now in my life. And I don't believe that's arbitrary or just by chance. And I'm in the right place. And, you know, thank you for your service. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and um, that's kind of always the question that we should be asking ourselves is, what am I feeling right now? <laughs> is this pleasant or unpleasant or neutral? And how am I really, you know, you know like we should be asking ourselves that a thousand times a day, on, on, you know, 10,000 times a day, each moment. What's, what's the feeling here? And how am I responding to it? That's, that's you know, that's the game changer. So thanks, Michael. Uh, last one, Peg. I mean, there we go. There you go. 
sorry. Um, yeah, first time tuning into this series too, and I appreciate, and it's nice to hear you live, Noah. Um, um, I've got some long-term sobriety, started in 12-step um, in programs, and um, I'm uh, just buried my, my our, our mom here a couple days ago, and it's just been a very stressful time. And um, I've got two, a niece and a nephew that have just recently come out and shared with me that they're dealing with their addictions. And um, one, I'm thrilled because there's no other family members that are, are actively in recovery. And it's, and I've been hoping for that for a long time, to, but, um, I feel a little bit hypocritical because they're asking me for, you know, to comment on things and, you know, I, I can do the best I can. And I've told them I'm not active in, um, in the uh, AA so much anymore um, that I've gravitated towards this, this, uh, the principles in refuge recovery and, um, and, and I'm hopeful that they'll they'll be able to explore and be open-minded to explore some uh, an option that fits for them, whatever that is. But I know just in my own personal recovery, I, I have no desire to drink or drug today, and I'm very grateful for that. And I'm, uh, but I've been coasting here, and and I know that those things are always waiting if we don't take care of ourselves. And, and what was really important for me to hear today is that effort is necessary. And to get stability, we need the intentional effort of repeatedly bringing the attention back, um, just the over and over and over. And, and I find I, I, once I, once I log on and I'm hearing, I'm listening and I'm hearing the love and the support and the and the hope of things can be still be better because I'm stuck in some things. You know, once I make the initial dive, so to speak, it's easy, but the motivation, I, I don't know, the laziness, the depression that comes and goes, I just, I, I'm not a, not feeling very consistent. So I don't know if you have a, any tips. Um, you know, I've tried tattooing something on my wrist so that I see it, it to help me stay in the moment. And uh, sometimes that works, but um, I've actually, what I have done is set my alarm on the hour for a couple times throughout the day to just help me get back to where I'm at and, and, and just a reminder. But if anybody else has any suggestions on staying motivated, I know we just got to keep showing up and maybe I'm, I'm trying to self-will that instead of asking for some help with some energy to be more directed to that. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Meg, and, and welcome. Um, you sort of said it there. It is about showing up uh, and whether that's showing up on the cushion regularly, doing our meditation practice. But I feel like one of the biggest supports for that is community and being, and it can be easy to, to slip away from meetings and, and community uh, with long-term recovery. And to feel like, you know, I, 
I'm not as desperate as I used to be and life is pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I've got all this other stuff going on that I'd rather do. And um, so, uh, you know, this is one of the principles of refuge and certainly of the Buddha, which is to take refuge in Sangha and community. Um, partially because it's, you know, there's so many levels to being involved in, in Sangha, fellowship, community, uh, an ability to be of service to others, ability to, uh, you know, work on our, our kind of relational practice, but also it's really a place to be reminded and re-inspired and, and constantly uh, uh, reminded of the importance of the effort of like, oh, I got to keep uh, and when we're not regularly going to meetings and regularly connecting with other recovery people and it's and in refuge even more so like meetings where we meditate in every meeting, you know, like this is probably one of the only refuge recovery things where there's not actually a meditation where I'm just doing this sort of lecture, but every meeting is meditation. And so even if you're not practicing every day at home, if you are coming to the meetings a couple times, three times, four times, five times a week, you're getting meditation in the, in the community. Uh, and then that reminds you. And my own experience is I'm always more likely to meditate in between meditation groups if I'm attending meditation groups, <laughs> you know, um, if I'm attending refuge or other meditation groups, then I'm more likely to get on the cushion and be developing those internal uh, skills. So um, Linda Lee, I see your hand going up, but we are out of time. I'm going to pause it there. Um, thank you, everybody. Uh, I'm going to take next week off. It's still summer and I'm doing some weekend summer trips, but the following um, Thursday, we will continue and we'll continue by going through the guided meditations in the book. Uh, one by one, meditating together, and then being able to have some uh, some Q and A about the different meditation techniques as we go through them. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online refuge recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.